Section 23 of The Natural History, Volume 4. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mary J. The Natural History, Volume 4 by Pliny the Elder. Translated by John Bostock and Henry Thomas Riley. Section 23. Book 18, Chapters 54 to 66. Chapter 54. How to Ascertain the Quality of Seed. The best seed of all is that which is of the last year's growth. That which is two years old is inferior, and three the worst of all. Beyond that it is unproductive. The same definite rule which applies to one kind of seed is applicable to them all. The seed which falls to the bottom on the threshing floor should be reserved for sowing, for being the most weighty it is the best in quality. There is no better method, in fact, of ascertaining its quality. The grains of those ears which have intervals between the seed should be rejected. The best grain is that which has a reddish hue, and which, when broken between the teeth, presents the same color. That which has more white within is of inferior quality. It is a well-known fact that some lands require more seed than others, from which circumstance first arose a superstition that exists among the peasantry. It is their belief that when the ground demands the seed with greater avidity than usual, it is famished and devours the grain. It is consistent with reason to put in the seed where the soil is humid sooner than elsewhere, to prevent the grain from rotting in the rain. On dry spots it should be sown later, and just before the fall of a shower, so that it may not have to lie long without germinating, and so come to nothing. When the seed is put in early it should be sown thick, as it is a considerable time before it germinates. But when it is put in later it should be sown thinly, to prevent it from being suffocated. There is a certain degree of skill, too, required in scattering the seed evenly. To ensure this, the hand must keep time with the step, moving always with the right foot. There are certain persons also who have a secret method of their own, having been born with a happy hand which imparts fruitfulness to the grain. Care should be taken not to sow seed in a warm locality which has been grown in a cold one, nor should the produce of an early soil be sown in a late one. Those who give advice to the contrary have quite misapplied their pains. Chapter 55. What quantity of each kind of grain is requisite for sowing a uterum? In a soil of middling quality, the proper proportion of seed is five modi of wheat or winter wheat to the uterum, ten of spelt or of seed wheat, that being the name which we have mentioned as being given to one kind of wheat, six of barley, one-fifth more of beans than of wheat, twelve of vetches, three of chickpeas, chichling vetches, and peas, ten of lupins, three of lentils. These last, however, it is said, must be sown with dry manure. Six of fitches, six of fenugreek, four of kidney beans, twenty of hay grass, and four sextari of millet and panic. Where the soil is rich, the proportion must be greater, where it is thin, less. There is another distinction, too, to be made. Where the soil is dense, cretaceous, or moist, there should be six modi of wheat or winter wheat to the ugerum, but where the land is loose, dry, and prolific, four will be enough. A meagre soil, too, if the crop is not very thinly sown, will produce a diminutive, empty ear. Rich lands give a number of stalks to each grain, and yield a thick crop from only a light sowing. The result, then, is that from four to six modi must be sown according to the nature of the soil. Though there are some who make it a rule that five modi is the proper proportion for sowing, neither more nor less, whether it is a densely planted locality, a declivity, or a thin meagre soil. To this subject bears reference an oracular precept which never can be too carefully observed. Don't rob the harvest. Atius, in his Praxiticus, 
has added that the proper time for sowing is when the moon is in Aries, Gemini, Leo, Libra, and Aquarius. Zoroaster says it should be done when the sun has passed twelve degrees of Scorpio, and the moon is in Taurus. Chapter 56. The Proper Times for Sowing. We now come to a subject which has been hitherto deferred by us, and which requires our most careful attention, the proper times for sowing. This is a question that depends in very great degree upon the stars, and I shall therefore make it my first care to set forth all the opinions that have been written in reference to the subject. Hesiod, the first writer who has given any precepts upon agriculture, speaks of one period only for sowing, the setting of the Virgiliae. But then he wrote in Boetia, a country of Hellas, where, as we have already stated, they are still in the habit of sowing at that period. It is generally agreed by the most correct writers that with the earth, as with the birds and the quadrupeds, there are certain impulses for reproduction. And the epoch for this is fixed by the Greeks at the time when the earth is warm and moist. Virgil says that wheat and spelt should be sown at the setting of the Virgiliae, barley between the autumnal equinox and the winter solstice, and vetches, kidney beans, and lentils at the setting of Boötes. It is of great importance, therefore, to ascertain the exact days of the rising and setting of these constellations, as well as of the others. There are some, again, who recommend the sowing to be done before the setting of the Virgiliae, but only in a dry soil, and in those provinces where the weather is hot. For the seed, they say, if put in the ground, will keep, there being no moisture to spoil it, and within a single day after the next fall of rain will make its appearance above ground. Others, again, are of opinion that sowing should begin about seven days after the setting of the Virgiliae a period which is mostly followed by rain. Some think that cold soils should be sown immediately after the autumnal equinox, and a warm soil later, so that the blade may not put forth too luxuriantly before winter. It is universally agreed, however, that the sowing should not be done about the period of the winter solstice. For this very good reason, the winter seeds, if put in before the winter solstice, will make their appearance above ground on the seventh day, whereas, if they are sown just after it, they will hardly appear by the fortieth. There are some, however, who begin very early, and have a saying to justify their doing so, to the effect that if seed sown too early often disappoints, seed put in too late always does so. On the other hand, again, there are some who maintain that it is better to sow in spring than in a bad autumn. And they say that if they find themselves obliged to sow in spring, they would choose the period that intervenes between the prevalence of the west winds and the vernal equinox. Some persons, however, take no notice of the celestial phenomena, and only regulate their movements by the months. In spring they put in flax, the oat, and the poppy, up to the feast of the Quinquatria, as we find done at the present day by the people of Italy beyond the Patus. There, too, they sow beans and winter wheat in the month of November, and spelt at the end of September, up to the Ides of October. Others, however, sow this last after the Ides of October, as late as the Calends of November." The persons who do this take no notice, consequently, of the phenomena of nature, while others, again, lay too much stress upon them. And hence, by these refined subtleties and distinctions, only add to their blindness. For here are ignorant rustics, not only dealing with a branch of learning, but that branch astronomy. It must still, however, be admitted that the observations of the heavens plays a very important part in the operations of agriculture, and Virgil, we find, gives it as his advice that before anything else we should learn the theory of the winds and the revolutions of the stars. For, as he says, the agriculturist, no less than the mariner, should regulate his movements thereby. It is an arduous attempt, and almost beyond all hope of success, to make an endeavor to introduce the divine science of the heavens to the uninformed mind of the rustic. 
Still, however, with a view to such vast practical results as must be derived from this kind of knowledge, I shall make the attempt. There are some astronomical difficulties, however, which have been experienced by the learned even, that ought to be first submitted for consideration, in order that the mind may feel some encouragement on abandoning the study of the heavens, and may be acquainted with facts at least, even though it is still unable to see into futurity. CHAPTER 57 ARRANGEMENT OF THE STARS ACCORDING TO THE TERRESTRIAL DAYS AND NIGHTS in the first place, it is almost an utter impossibility to calculate with a fair degree of accuracy the days of the year and movements of the sun. To the three hundred and sixty-five days there are still to be added the intercalary days, the result of the additional quarters of a day and night. Hence it is that it is found impossible to ascertain with exactness the proper periods for the appearance of the stars. To this we must add, too, a certain degree of uncertainty connected with these matters that is universally admitted. Thus, for instance, bad and wintry weather will often precede by several days the proper period for the advent of that season, a state of things known to the Greeks as prokemadzen, while at another time it will last longer than usual, a state of circumstance known as epikemadzen. The effects, too, of the changes that take place in the seasons will sometimes be felt later, and at other times earlier, upon their reaching the face of the earth and we not unfrequently hear the remark made upon the return of fine weather that the action of such and such a constellation is now completed. And then again, as all these phenomena depend upon certain stars, arranged and regulated in the vault of heaven, we find intervening in accordance with the movements of certain stars, hailstorms and showers, themselves productive of no slight results, as we have already observed, and apt to interfere with the anticipated regular recurrence of the seasons. Nor are we to suppose that these disappointments fall upon the human race only, for other animated beings, as well as ourselves, are deceived in regard to them, although endowed with even a greater degree of sagacity, upon these points than we are, from the fact of their very existence depending so materially upon them. Hence it is that we sometimes see the summer birds killed by too late or too early cold, and the winter birds by heat coming out of the usual season. It is for this reason that Virgil has recommended us to study the courses of the planets, and has particularly warned us to watch the passage of the cold star Saturn. There are some who look upon the appearance of the butterfly as the surest sign of spring, because of the extreme delicacy of that insect. In this present year, however, in which I am penning these lines, it has been remarked that the flights of butterflies have been killed three several times by as many returns of the cold, while the foreign birds, which brought us by the sixth of the calends of February every indication of an early spring, after that had to struggle against a winter of the greatest severity. In treating of these matters, we have to meet a twofold difficulty. First of all, we have to ascertain whether or not the celestial phenomena are regulated by certain laws, and then we have to seek how to reconcile those laws with apparent facts. We must, however, be more particularly careful to take into account the convexity of the earth, and the difference of situation in the localities upon the face of the globe, for hence it is that the same constellation shows itself to different nations at different times, the result being that its influence is by no means perceptible everywhere at the same moment. This difficulty has been considerably enhanced, too, by various authors, who, after making their observations in different localities, and, indeed, in some instances, in the same locality, have yet given us varying or contradictory results. There have been three great schools of astronomy, the Chaldean, the Egyptian, and the Grecian. To these has been added a fourth school, which was established by the dictator Caesar among ourselves, and to which was entrusted the duty of regulating the year in conformity with the sun's revolution, under the auspices of Sicygenes an astronomer of considerable learning and skill. His theory, too, upon the discovery of certain errors, has since been corrected, 
no intercalations having been made for twelve successive years upon its being found that the year which before had anticipated the constellations was now beginning to fall behind them even Socigenes himself too though more correct than his predecessors has not hesitated to show by his continual corrections in the three several treatises which he composed that he still entertained great doubts on the subject the writers too whose names are inserted at the beginning of this work have sufficiently revealed the fact of these discrepancies the opinions of one being rarely found to agree with those of another this however is less surprising in the case of those whose plea is the difference of the localities in which they wrote but with reference to those who though living in the same country have still arrived at different results we shall here mention one remarkable instance of discrepancy hesiod for under his name also we have a treatise extant on the science of the stars has stated that the morning setting of the virgiliae takes place at the moment of the autumnal equinox whereas thales we find makes it the twenty-fifth day after the equinox and oximander the twenty-ninth and euctemon the forty-eighth as for ourselves we shall follow the calculations made by julius caesar which bear reference more particularly to italy though at the same time we shall set forth the dicta of various other writers bearing in mind that we are treating not of an individual country but of nature considered in her totality in doing this however we shall name not the writers themselves for that would be too lengthy a task but the countries in reference to which they speak the reader must bear in mind then that for the sake of saving space under the head of attica we include the islands of the cyclades as well under that of macedonia magnesia and thracia under that of egypt phonice cyprus and cilicia under that of boeotia locris phius and the adjoining countries under that of hellespont chersonesus in the contiguous parts as far as mount athos under that of ionia asia and the islands of asia under that of peloponnesus achaia and the regions lying to the west of it chaldea when mentioned will signify assyria and babylonia as well my silence as to africa spain and the provinces of gaul will occasion no surprise from the fact that no one has published any observations made upon the stars in those countries still however there will be no difficulty in calculating them even for those regions as well on reference being made to the parallels which have been set forth in the sixth book by adopting this course an accurate acquaintance may be made with the astronomical relations not only of individual nations but of cities even as well by taking the circular parallels which we have there appended to the several portions of the earth respectively and applying them to the countries in question that are similarly situate it will be found that the rising of the heavenly bodies will be the same for all parts within those parallels where the shadows projected are of equal length it is also deserving of remark that the seasons have their periodical recurrences without any marked difference every four years in consequence of the influence of the sun and that the characteristics of the seasons are developed in excess every eighth year at the revolution of every hundredth moon chapter fifty eight the rising and setting of the stars the whole of this system is based upon the observation of three branches of the heavenly phenomena the rising of the constellations their setting and the regular recurrence of the seasons these risings and settings may be observed in two different ways the stars are either concealed and cease to be seen at the rising of the sun or else present themselves to our view at his setting this last being more generally known by the name of immersion than of rising while their disappearance is rather an occultation than a setting considered again in another point of view when upon certain days they begin to appear or disappear at the setting or rising of the sun as the case may be these are called their morning or their evening settings or risings according as each of these phenomena take place at daybreak or twilight it requires an interval of three-quarters of an hour at least before the rising of the sun or after his setting for the stars to be visible to us 
In addition to this, there are certain stars which rise and set twice. All that we here state bears reference, it must be remembered, to the fixed stars only. Chapter 59. The Epochs of the Seasons. The year is divided into four periods or seasons, the recurrence of which is indicated by the increase or diminution of the daylight. Immediately after the winter solstice the days begin to increase, and by the time of the vernal equinox, or in other words, in ninety days and three hours, the day is equal in length to the night. After this, for ninety-four days and twelve hours, the days continue to increase, and the nights to diminish in proportion, up to the summer solstice, and from that point the days, though gradually decreasing, are still in excess of the nights for ninety-two days, twelve hours, until the autumnal equinox. At this period the days are of equal length with the nights, and after it they continue to decrease, inversely to the nights, until the winter solstice, a period of eighty-eight days and three hours. In all these calculations, it must be remembered, equinoctial hours are spoken of, and not those measured arbitrarily in reference to the length of any one day in particular. All these seasons, too, commence at the eighth degree of the signs of the zodiac. The winter solstice begins at the eighth degree of Capricorn, the eighth day before the calends of January in general, the vernal equinox at the eighth degree of Aries, the summer solstice at the eighth degree of Cancer, and the autumnal equinox at the eighth degree of Libra. And it is rarely that these days do not respectively give some indication of a change in the weather. These four seasons, again, are subdivided, each of them, into two equal parts. Thus, for instance, between the summer solstice and the autumnal equinox, the setting of the lyre on the forty-sixth day indicates the beginning of autumn. Between the autumnal equinox and the winter solstice, the morning setting of the Virgilie on the forty-fourth day denotes the beginning of winter. Between the winter solstice and the vernal equinox, the prevalence of the west winds on the forty-fifth day denotes the commencement of spring. And between the vernal equinox and the summer solstice, the morning rising of the Virgilie on the forty-eighth day announces the commencement of summer. We shall here make seed-time, or in other words, the morning setting of the Virgilie, our starting point, and shall not interrupt the thread of our explanation by making any mention of the minor constellations, as such a course would only augment the difficulties that already exist. It is much about this period that the stormy constellation of Orion departs, after traversing a large portion of the heavens. CHAPTER sixty, THE PROPER TIME FOR WINTER SOWING Most persons anticipate the proper time for sowing, and begin to put in the corn, immediately after the eleventh day of the autumnal equinox, at the rising of the crown, when we may reckon, almost to a certainty, upon several days of rainy weather in succession. Xenophon is of opinion that sowing should not be commenced until the deity has given us the signal for it, a term by which Cicero understands the rains that prevail in November. The true method to be adopted, however, is not to sow until the leaves begin to fall. Some persons are of opinion that this takes place at the setting of the Virgilie, or the third day before the Ides of November, as already stated and they carefully observe it, for it is a constellation very easily remarked in the heavens, and warns us to resume our winter clothes. Hence it is that immediately on its setting the approach of winter is expected, and care is taken by those who are on their guard against the exorbitant charges of the shopkeepers to provide themselves with an appropriate dress. If the Virgilie is set with cloudy weather, it forebodes a rainy winter, and the prices of cloaks immediately rise. But if, on the other hand, the weather is clear at that period, a sharp winter is to be expected, and then the price of garments of other descriptions is sure to go up. But as to the husbandman, unacquainted as he is with the phenomena of the heavens, his brambles are to him in place of constellations, and if he looks at the ground, he sees it covered with their leaves. This fall of the leaves, earlier in one place and later in another, is a sure criterion of the temperature of the weather, for there is a great affinity between the effects produced by the weather in this respect and the nature of the soil and climate. 
there is this peculiar advantage, too, in the careful observation of these effects, that they are sure to be perceptible throughout the whole earth, while at the same time they have certain features which are peculiar to each individual locality. A person may perhaps be surprised at this who does not bear in mind that the herb pennyroyal, which is hung up in our larders, always blossoms on the day of the winter solstice. So firmly resolved is nature that nothing shall remain concealed from us, and in that spirit has given us the fall of the leaf as the signal for sowing. Such is the true method of interpreting all these phenomena, granted to us by nature as a manifestation of her will. It is the way that she wants us to prepare the ground, makes us a promise of a manure, as it were, in the fall of the leaves, announces to us that the earth and the productions thereof are thus protected by her against the cold, and warns us to hasten the operations of agriculture. Chapter 61 when to sow the leguminous plants and the poppy. Varro has given no other sign but this for our guidance in sowing the bean. Some persons are of opinion that it should be sown at full moon, the lentil between the twenty-fifth and thirtieth day of the moon, and the vetch on the same days of the moon. And they assure us that if this is done, they will be exempt from the attacks of slugs. Some say, however, that if wanted for fodder, they may be sown at these periods, but if for seed in the spring. There is another sign, more evident still, supplied us by the marvellous foresight of nature, with reference to which we will give the words employed by Cicero himself. The lentisk, ever green and ever bent, beneath its fruits affords a threefold crop, thrice teeming, thrice it warns us when to plough. One of the periods here alluded to is the same that is now under consideration, being the appropriate time also for sowing flax and the poppy. With reference to this last, Cato gives the following advice. Burn upon land where corn has been grown, the twigs and branches which are of no use to you, and when that is done, sow the poppy there. The wild poppy, which is of a utility that is quite marvellous, is boiled in honey as a remedy for diseases of the throat, while the cultivated kind is a powerful narcotic. This much in reference to winter sowing. Chapter 62. Work to be done in the country in each month, respectively. And now, in order to complete what we may call in some measure an abridgment of the operations of agriculture, it is as well to add that it will be a good plan at the same period to manure the roots of trees and to mould up the vines, a single hand being sufficient for one eugerum. Where, too, the nature of the locality will allow it, the vines and the trees upon which they are trained should be looped, and the soil turned up with the mattock for seed plots. Trenches, too, should be opened out, and the water drained from off the fields, and the presses should be well washed and put away. Never put eggs beneath the hen between the calends of November and the winter solstice. During all the summer and up to the calends of November you may put thirteen under the hen, but the number must be smaller in winter, not less than nine, however. Democritus is of opinion that the winter will turn out of the same character as the weather on the day of the winter solstice in the three succeeding days. The same, too, with the summer and the weather at the summer solstice. About the winter solstice, for about twice seven days mostly, while that halion is sitting, the winds are lulled, and the weather serene, but in this case, as in all others, the influence of the stars must only be judged of by the result, and we must not expect the changes of the weather, as if out upon their recognizances, to make their appearance exactly on certain predetermined days. Chapter 63. Work to be done at the winter solstice. Be careful never to touch the vine at the winter solstice. Hygienus reminds us to strain, and even to rack off wine, at the seventh day, after the winter solstice, provided the moon is seven days old. About this period, also, the cherry-tree, he says, should be planted. Acorns, too, should now be put in soak for the oxen, a modius for each pair. If given in larger quantities, this food will prove injurious to their health, and whenever it is given, if they are fed with it for less than thirty days in succession, 
an attack of scab in the spring, it is said, will be sure to make you repent. This, too, is the period that we have already assigned for cutting timber. Other kinds of work, again, may be found for the hours of the night, which are then so greatly prolonged. There are baskets, hurdles, and panniers to be woven, and the wood to be cut for torches. Squared stays for the vine may be prepared, too, thirty in the daytime, and if rounded, as many as sixty. In the long hours of the evening, too, some five squared stays, or ten rounded ones, may be got ready, in the same number while the day is breaking. Chapter 64. Work to be done between the winter solstice and the prevalence of the west winds. Between the winter solstice and the period when the west winds begin to prevail, the following, according to Caesar, are the more important signs afforded by the constellations. The dog sets in the morning upon the third day before the calends of January, a day on the evening of which the eagle sets to the people of Attica in the adjoining countries. On the day before the nones of January, according to Caesar's computation, the dolphin rises in the morning, and on the next day the lyre, upon the evening of which the arrow sets to the people of Egypt. Upon the sixth day before the Ides of January, the dolphin sets in the evening, and Italy has many days of continuous cold. The same is the case also when the sun enters Aquarius, about the sixteenth day before the calends of February. On the eighth before the calends of February, the star which Tubero calls the royal star sets in the morning in the breast of Leo, and in the evening of the day before the nones of February, the Lear sets. During the latter days of this period, whenever the nature of the weather will allow it, the ground should be turned up with a double mattock for planting the rose in the vine, sixty men to a eudrum. Ditches, too, should be cleaned out, or new ones made. In the time of daybreak may be usefully employed in sharpening iron tools, fitting on handles, repairing such dolia as may have been broken, and rubbing up and cleaning their staves. Chapter 65 Work to be done between the prevalence of the west winds and the vernal equinox. Between the prevalence of the west winds and the vernal equinox, the fourteenth day before the calends of March, according to Caesar, announces three days of changeable weather. The same is the case, too, with the eighth before the calends of March, at the first appearance of the swallow, Arcturus rising on the evening of the next day. Caesar has observed that the same takes place on the third before the nones of March, at the rising of Cancer. And most authorities say the same with reference to the immersion of the vintager. On the 8th before the Ides of March, the northern limb of Pisces rises, and on the next day Orion, at which period also in Attica the kite is first seen. Caesar has noticed, too, the setting of Scorpio on the Ides of March, a day that was so fatal to him, and on the 15th before the calends of April the kite appears in Italy. On the 12th before the calends of April the horse sets in the morning. This interval of time is a period of extreme activity for the agriculturist, and affords him a great number of occupations in reference to which, however, he is extremely liable to be deceived. He is summoned to the commencement of these labors, not upon the day on which the west winds ought to begin, but upon the day on which they really do begin to blow. This moment must then be looked for with the most careful attention, as it is a signal which the deity has vouchsafed us in this month, attended with no doubts or equivocations, if only looked for with scrupulous care. We have already stated in the second book the quarter in which this wind blows, and the exact point from which it comes, and before long we shall have occasion to speak of it again, still more in detail. In the meantime, however, setting out from the day, whatever it may happen to be, on which the west winds begin to prevail, for it is not always on the seventh before the Ides of February that they do begin, whether, in fact, they begin to blow before the usual time, as is the case with an early spring, or whether after, which generally happens when the winter is prolonged, there are subjects innumerable to engage the attention of the agriculturist, and those, of course, should be the first attended to, which will admit of no delay." Three-month wheat must now be sown, the vine pruned in the way we have already described, the olive carefully attended to, fruit-trees put in and grafted, vineyards cleaned and hoed, seedlings laid out, and replaced in the nursery by others, 
the reed the willow and the broom planted and lopped in the elm the poplar in the plain planted in the manner already mentioned at this period also the crops of corn ought to be weeded in the winter kinds spelt more particularly well hoed in doing this there is a certain rule to be observed the proper moment being when four blades have made their appearance and with the bean this should never be done until three leaves have appeared above ground even then however it is a better plan to clean them only with a slight hoeing in preference to digging up the ground but in no case should they ever be touched the first fifteen days of their blossom barley must never be hoed except when it is quite dry take care too to have all pruning done by the vernal equinox four men will be sufficient for pruning a uterum of vineyard and each hand will be able to train fifteen vines to their trees at this period too attention should be paid to the gardens and rose beds subjects which will be separately treated of in succeeding books due care should be given to ornamental gardening as well it is now too the very best time for making ditches the ground should now be open for future purposes as we find recommended by virgil in particular in order that the sun may thoroughly warm the clods it is a piece of even more sound advice which recommends us to plough no lands in the middle of the spring but those of middling quality for if this is done with a rich soil weeds will be sure to spring up in the furrows immediately and if on the other hand it is a thin meagre land as soon as the heat comes on it will be dried up and so lose all the moisture which should be reserved to nourish the seed when sown it is a much better plan beyond a doubt to plough such soils as these in autumn cato lays down the following rules for the operations of spring ditches he says should be dug in the seed plots vines should be grafted and the elm the fig the olive and other fruit trees planted in dense and humid soils such meadows as are not irrigated must be manured in a dry moon protected from the western blasts and carefully cleaned noxious weeds must be rooted up fig trees cleared and seed plots made and the old ones dressed all this should be done before you begin to hoe the vineyard when the pear is in blossom too you should begin to plough where it is a meagre gravelly soil when you have done all this you may plough the more heavy watery soils doing this the last of all the proper time for ploughing then is denoted by these two signs the earliest fruit of the lentisk making its appearance and the blossoming of the pear there is a third sign however as well the flowering of the squill among the bulbus and of the narcissus among the garland plants for both the squill and the narcissus as well as the lentisk flower three times denoting by their first flowering the first period for ploughing by the second flowering the second and by the third flowering the last in this way it is that one thing affords hints for another there is one precaution too that is by no means the least important among them not to let ivy touch the bean while in blossom for at this period the ivy is noxious to it and most baneful in its effects some plants again afford certain signs which bear reference more particularly to themselves the fig for instance when a few leaves only are found shooting from the summit like a cup in shape then it is more particularly that the fig tree should be planted chapter sixty six work to be done after the vernal equinox the vernal equinox appears to end on the eighth day before the calends of april between the equinox and the morning rising of the Virgiliae, the calends of april announce according to caesar stormy weather upon the third before the nones of april the Virgiliae set in the evening in attica in the day after in boeotia but according to caesar in the chaldeans upon the nones in egypt at this time orion and his sword begin to set according to caesar the setting of libra on the sixth day before the ides of april announces rain on the fourteenth before the calends of may the succulae set to the people of egypt in the evening a stormy constellation and significant of tempests both by land and sea this constellation sets on the sixteenth in attica and on the fifteenth according to caesar announcing four days of bad weather in succession in assyria it sets upon the twelfth before the calends of may this constellation ordinarily has the name of paralysium from the circumstance that the eleventh before the calends of may is observed as the natal day of the city of rome 
Upon this day, too, fine weather generally returns, and gives us a clear sky for our observations. The Greeks call the succulae by the name of Hyades, in consequence of the rain and clouds which they bring with them, while our people, misled by the resemblance of the Greek name to another word of theirs, meaning a pig, have imagined that the constellation receives its name from that word, and have consequently given it, in their ignorance, the name of succulae, or the little pigs. In the calculations made by Caesar, the eighth before the calends of May is a day remarked, and on the seventh before the calends the constellation of the kids rises in Egypt. On the sixth before the calends the dog sets in the evening, in Boeotia and Attica, and the lyre rises in the morning. On the fifth before the calends of May, Orion has wholly set to the people of Assyria, and on the fourth before the calends the dog. On the sixth before the nones of May, the succulae rise in the morning, according to the calculation of Caesar and on the eighth before the Ides the she-goat, which announces rain. In Egypt the dog sets in the evening of the same day. Such are pretty nearly the movements of the constellations up to the sixth before the Ides of May, a period of the rising of the Virgiliae. In this interval of time, during the first fifteen days, the agriculturist must make haste and do all the work for which he has not been able to find time before the vernal equinox, and he should bear in mind that those who are late in pruning their vines are exposed to jibes and taunts, in imitation of the note of the bird-passage known to us as the cuckoo for it is looked upon as a disgrace, and one that subjects him to well-merited censure, for that bird upon its arrival, to find him only then pruning his vines. Hence it is, too, that we find those cutting jokes of which our peasantry are the object at the beginning of spring. Still, however, all such jokes are to be looked upon as most abominable, from the ill omens they convey. In this way, then, we see that, in agricultural operations, the most trifling things are construed as so many hints supplied us by nature. The latter part of this period is the proper time for sowing panic and millet. The precise moment, however, is just after the barley has ripened. In the case of the very same land, too, there is one sign that points in common both to the ripening of the barley and the sowing of panic and millet, the appearance of the glow-worm, shining in the fields at night. Sicindele is the name given by the country people to these flying stars, while the Greeks call them Lampirides, another manifestation of the incredible bounteousness of nature. End of section 23